As players, we enlist the help of creatures to play the game. With this new, new ability from Dominaria United, your creatures can enlist the help from another creature for more damage. This may sound good, but there is a price. You have to lower your shields a bit. Is this trade-off worth it? That's what we hope to answer in this episode. Hello and welcome to Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi Joe. Hello everybody. And with Under the Hood we'd like to take a deeper look, deep, deeper look into the mechanics and abilities that make up the wonderful game of Magic the Gathering. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to give us a show idea, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at MTG Under the Hood. And with that out of the way, let's get on to Decks of the Week. Joe, what have you been working on? Well, I've been working on really just one in particular, but I got to try out a couple decks from our last episode. So I told you I was working on an Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief that was based off around Mutate, and I wasn't able to make it solely Mutate. There's only a small number of blue and green mutate cards. So, and I underestimated the number of mutate cards out there for, uh, for, for blue and green. So I had to break into a slightly different mechanic, so I picked the next most complicated one and chose Bestow, which also works rather well with this kind of deck. So I, I built a Mutate Bestow deck. We played a game on Friday with it, and I, I think you would agree, you were part of that game. It started off slow. I didn't get the mana that I needed to really get started. But once it got started, it got started. And man, did it get busted real quick. Yes, it did. You were... I actually had to bust out my, uh, my like, blank tokens. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have, like, pieces of paper that are cut to the size of cards to use as blank tokens. And I just handed you the stack of them. Yeah. Just so that you could write all the different things that, all the different stuff that was on your commander and, like, everything else. Yeah. It it got pretty complex pretty quick, and there were some rather interesting mutations going on, plus you get some of those bestow abilities and everything. It was, it was fun. I did try out Soul of Wind Grace as well. That was in a one-on-one -on -one game, and, and that needs some significant tweaking. It, it didn't... It never coalesced, where I, I was trying to sacrifice lands, but I never had enough lands on the field in order to actually sacrifice them, because I couldn't get enough in my hand, and I couldn't play multiple lands per turn. So I was kind of stuck and just sort of treading water. It also didn't help that I was playing against a deck that got really big, really powerful, really fast, so I couldn't attack with Soul of Wind Grace to get the lands back out of my graveyard, and I didn't have a way to play them from my graveyard. It was kind of like a perfect storm of things that just did not work in my favor. But regardless, the deck needs more card draw. So I, I need to be able to get more cards into my hand, and I realized that with that game. The new deck that I'm trying to build is Soryara the Falconer. Now this is a white legend from Homelands, it is, it's a 2-2, two, two. it costs a generic white-white, it has all falcons, which has been errated to birds, get plus one, plus one, and then I can play one and a white, target falcon, errated to bird, gains banding until end of turn. So we're doing it! We are going to deep dive into the banding mechanic by playing with the banding mechanic, we're going to make everybody at the table groan whenever I pull out this commander. But I'll tell you what, I've wanted to build a mono-white deck for a long time, and this is one I can get behind. You know how many band, you know how many Soryara decks there are on EDH Rec? Zero. 114. Which is about 114 more than I thought there would be. <laughs> so, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to let me try out banding. 
I have some ideas for how it'll work, and there are a lot of great bird creatures out there. So we'll put some anthems in it to try to give it, my birds a big buff. And so essentially, we'll just start swinging you with big creatures and making it difficult to block them. Or when we are on the block, it'll be difficult for people to swing in with their big creatures without facing the wrath of my murder of crows. Um, in my Kinji deck, I have a card that you might want to use. What's that? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's an enchantment that whenever a bird, uh, bird creature oh, you control yes. dies, you put a feather counter on that enchantment, and that en and then your birds get plus one plus one for each feather on it. I actually have a copy of that, and yes. it's already in the deck. Yes, that was that was going to be an auto include because it, it is. It's one of those that's unique to birds. You know, and it gives birds a bonus. So I'm really excited about that. It's 90% built. I do have to get about 10 more cards, but that's mostly in like the card draw ramp categories. So that'll be easy to put in real quick. Well, I know what I need. Not necessarily easy to put in, but I know what I need. I'll be able to take care of those without too much difficulty. Chris, your turn. What are your new, what are your new decks for this episode? So, uh... Last Saturday, I had to work overtime and everything, and so I went in and went to the LGS and just picked up a uh, pre-release pack, just, you know, as a present to myself, and mm -hmm. uh, my promo in it was Shieldred, which was the card that I was, like, hunting for. Nice. And so I, was, so I had the idea to brew a, uh, um, a Shieldred commander deck with her as the head and have it just be nothing but... Like draw, like draw spells, and like discard. So kind of like a pseudo tiny bones idea. Sort of like that, but also things that like. Oh, because whenever your opponents draw cards, they lose life. Yep. So you want to make your opponents draw. Okay, I see. I see. But with it being in black, that's a little hard. But uh, I also have things like uh, um. Uh, I have ideas of, uh, I think, uh, Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Uh, yep. That allows me to sacrifice a creature, draw a card, you know, stuff like that. Yep. Um, so just, like, little things, and I could actually deal six damage to someone by paying two life for a sign-in. Oh, sorry. Yeah, for no, Sorry, sorry. I wouldn't even lose the life. I pay two mana with Shieldred out and have someone sign in blood. Yeah. And then they lose six life. Yep. It would be, uh, that that would be a way to win right there. That's how I will probably be able to finally win with the sign in blood. Um, and then the other one that I've Unless been... it gets countered. <laughs> we won't talk about that game. It's okay. <laughs> what he's alluding to is I was about to win with Conrad by using Morality Shift, which exchanges my graveyard and uh, library. And so with Conrad on the field, I get a whole bunch of triggers. I play that. Joe is playing Kozlik, and I go, all right, I'm going to Morality Shift. What's the CMC? Seven. And he discards a spell in his hand that costs seven mana to counter it with Kozlik. It was, it was, it was epic. Especially because that's the first time I ever got to play the commander. And so getting to not only play the commander, but also counter something on top of it, it was epic. <laughs> that... For me, anyway, it was epic for me. I oh, know it, for you, it sucks. I totally didn't see it coming. Like I knew, I knew that was one of Kozlik's like big abilities, but I'm like, I have to do it. The chance of him having, I know there's one card in his deck for sure that's seven mana, and that was all his dust. Uh, yeah, and I, I have a couple other Eldrazi that are seven mana, but still. So I'm like, all right, the chances are kind of slim. I might be able to pull out the win. Nope. I was like, well, I'll shuffle up because that's going to be a loss. Yeah. And then, uh, but back to my deck. Right. Sorry. It was yeah. just, yeah. As an aside. <laughs> um, I have the new braids. Nice. And I'm building that one as like a, as like an aristocratic type deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to have like blood artist, um, bastion of remembrance, mm -hmm. you know, all those wonderful little things. And, uh. The whole idea of it is to just go, okay, I'm going to sacrifice this creature. The creature's going to have some form of recursion on it. Right. Um, like Sanitarium Skeleton, where I can pay to return to my hand, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So have creatures in there that have recursion built into them. Yeah. 
And so I can just go, all right, I'm going to sacrifice this one. Um, another idea that I had was uh, some uh, unearthed creatures. Yep. Because the, because those two will actually go on the stack. The, That's true. The sacrifice. Because it's end of turn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you could sacrifice it to Braids first. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to lose it, but I'm going to also make you either sacrifice a creature or lose two life and I draw a card. That might actually... Are there enough unearthed creatures to make that kind of your main? There aren't that many. Okay. Could they have to be mono black? Yes. Yeah. But I also... But, like, Entomb, sorry, yeah. Disentomb, um, Unearth, you know, there's, like, really cheap... The actual spell, Unearth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, like, a whole bunch of, like, really cheap... Uh, what's the word? I just had it. Recursion. Recursion. Yeah. And bl- and so I'm like, of course, why not get more <laughs> more bang for my buck out of No, that's a great idea. And, yeah. and so that's my idea, and then I'm also going to be doing... What I've been doing with a lot of my tiny leaders and making them into a modular deck to where I can just right reef uh, have the other fifty cards for it, just so ready to go, just ready to go, so I can have a full fledged commander deck. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you'll have to make sure you break it out at some point because I know you have a bunch of tiny leader decks. I have so eight. at some point, I know you bring them. You should really just look at us one day and go, "Hey, I have a bunch of tiny leader decks. Let's sit down. Let's play a game. Just." For fun of it, don't worry. I have you covered. Here you go. <laughs> uh, one that uh, will probably not hit the table on that one is no uh, Bruvac. Bruvac. No Bruvac. Bruvac no. is just mean in tiny leaders. No, way too powerful. Yeah, way way too busted in tiny leaders. So, anything else about your decks? Uh, no, not really. So that's. We we got a lot of stuff in the brew in the works. Yeah, so, and of course we're still we're still trying to figure out and navigate the world of you know, post Dominary United with all the new legends that came out. Oh my and everything. god! Yeah, so it's 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 very interesting, and I don't think I think every every game we played, somebody at least one person brought a brand new commander to the table last week. Yep. Yeah, at least one uh, a brand new one. So some of our words to live by for this episode. The first one we have is crackback. Now this is a slang term for when your opponent may make the following turn after your attack phase. That was not a, a coherent sentence. So it's a slang term for the attack. There it is. Your opponent may make the turn following your own attack phase. Essentially, it's, it's what they're going to do the turn after in response to what you did during your combat phase. So you'll hear often people say you have to be prepared for the crackback, meaning you may go ahead and do your attack, but you have to be prepared for what's going to come back at you now that typically your shields are down. Be prepared, and again, just a term you'll hear frequently, probably more common among the commander community than anything else because there are a lot more opportunities for a crackback on you than you'll hear in the constructed community when it's one-on-one. Chris, what's our other word to live by? Our other word to live by is triggered ability. This is an ability that is put onto the stack after a specific event happens in the game. A triggered ability usually starts with the words when, whenever, or at. Uh, However, these words don't have to be at the start of the ability for the ability to uh, to be a triggered ability. Keyword abilities sometimes include a triggered ability buried in the rules text. Uh, For instance, enlist. And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit, about the triggered ability that is buried within the enlist mechanic, even though that's not how the actual uh, keyword ability starts. Chris, tell us the history of enlist. So enlist is one of the new mechanics from Dominaria United. It feels a little bit like banding light, um, where you can have multiple creatures forming one attack. Um, but And the whole banding light is because you can only use enlist on one. You can only enlist the help of one creature per creature with enlist. Yeah. Well, not only that, as I dove more into the rules for banding, banding actually affects 
who assigns combat damage to creatures. Enlist doesn't do any of that. Enlist is keeps combat very simple, but it does have more than one creature actually being a part of your attack phase. You know. The rules for Enlist. So Enlist comes to us 702.154A. Enlist represents a static ability and a triggered ability. Enlist means as this creature attacks, you may tap up to one untapped creature you control that you didn't choose to attack with and that either has haste or has been under your control continuously since the turn began. When you do, this creature gets plus X plus zero until end of turn, where X is the tapped creature's power. 702.154B, Enlist Static Ability represents an optional cost to attack, and you can read more about attack cost in Rule 508.1G. Its triggered ability is linked to that static ability. So basically, there's a lot more about linked abilities as well. Basically, it's that triggered ability that happens can only occur if you first go through the process of tapping a non-attacking creature you control through the enlist ability. There's no other way to make that to make in another attacking creature get that plus X plus zero. But again, there's a lot more information about linked abilities in 607.2H. 702.154C, a creature, quote, enlists, unquote, another creature when you pay the cost of the creature's enlist ability by tapping the other creature. Note that it isn't possible for a creature to enlist itself. This is because you have to tap the creature in order to attack, and so the enlist creature has to tap first as part of the cost to be considered an attacking creature. That being said, as soon as you tap that creature, then you get the opportunity to choose if you're going to enlist another creature to give that power bonus to the creature that is attacking. Finally, 702.154D, multiple instances of enlist on a single creature function independently. The triggered ability represented by each instance of enlist triggers only once and only for the cost associated with that enlist ability. So if you have a creature that has enlist and list printed twice on the card, you actually have the opportunity to enlist two additional creatures to attack and with that creature, well, attack, quote, with that creature and essentially provide a power bonus to the original attacking creature. Also, quick note, there are no creatures that intrinsically have enlist and list on them but it may happen in the future. We also want to point out that that whole triggered ability is rather important. The triggered ability does not happen until you choose to tap a second creature after you choose your attacking creatures. At that point, you cannot respond to the tapping of a creature to enlist it to attack with the original attacking creature. However, you can respond to the power addition, the power buff that happens to the attacking creature. This makes a big deal. If you have, say, a removal spell that says destroy target creature with power three or less, this gives you an opportunity to remove either the original enlist creature, right, the original attacking creature with enlist, if its power is three or less, so you have that opportunity with the triggered ability on the stack, so that triggered ability is important, and keep that in mind when choosing Enlist for your mechanic. Chris, talk to us about some of the featured cards. There aren't a lot, but the ones we've chosen, rather important. All right, so first up is Coalition Warbrute. It's a creature Minotaur Berserker. It's a 3-4, and it costs three generic and a red, and it has Enlist and Trample. Now, this one is a featured card because of that second one, Trample. Trample makes all the difference in the world to make a good enlist card. Absolutely. Next up, we have the Balduvian Berserker. This is a creature, Core Berserker. It's a 1-3. It costs two generic and a red. It has enlist and... Whenever Balduvian Berserker dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. 
I can't tell you how many times I got wrecked by the Balduvian Berserker during pre-release and release weekend. This card, this card, if you enlist it correctly, you're in a no-win situation. You're, you're absolutely in a no-win situation. Because yes, you can just take, let's say they enlist it adding four and it's now a five-three. You can take the five, but that creature is going to come back. Or you can block with a creature, which means your creature is probably going to die. And you're going to take five to the face anyway, because you know that's probably where they're going to assign the damage. Here's a scenario for you. Okay. Swing in with a Balduvian Berserker. Mm-hmm. And you have the, uh, the one territorial guy that gets... Uh, power toughness uh, equal to twice your domain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you enlist that oh, guy. Oh, I know. You give him plus 10, plus 10. Oh, yeah. And then you have braids out, and then at the end of your turn, you sacrifice him. And we're going to bring, we're going to pause real quick for a rules in information there. That's a great point, because you're right. At end of turn, that's, you're right. That's when that goes off. So, real quick, let's talk about the rules. The, the bonus for enlist does last until end of turn. So a couple times that did come up at like pre-release and release. And you bring up a great point. When you sacrifice that creature to braids, not only are you telling your opponent, hey, by the way, you got to sacrifice a creature, or you're going to lose two life and I get to draw a card. But also, you're now taking 11 damage to the face because you, you, know, you enlisted a 10-10, Made it in eleven three, um, if they assuming they didn't block it, which odds are they probably did. But let's go ahead and, for the sake of argument, say they didn't. There's now you're sacrificing it, dealing eleven damage most likely to their face, and they have to sacrifice a creature. It's also important. There are cards out there, such as the oh, there. There's a, a hellion, um, a red red hellion that gets a power or they get a cost reduction based off of the highest powered creature on your board. And again, I had people ask me this as well. If you enlist a creature and it boosts the power, you know, does that affect last until end of turn? Yes, it does. So can I get the mana reduction on this Hellion? Yes, you do. And Galta. And, and Galta. Galta is another great example, right? And so that that's an excellent point. Yeah, to bring that up. That's really good. Back to featured cards. Just a small break for some rules. All right. Chris, what's next? Guardian of New Benalia. It's a creature human soldier. It's a 2-2. Costs a generic and a white. Has enlist. And when Guardian of New Benalia enlists a creature, scry two and discard a card. Guardian of New Benalia gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. I mean, there's not too much exciting about it. A 2-2 for two with enlist. But... Sometimes when it came up against me, I think it was release weekend. I think it. I think what makes this one so good yeah. is the scry. The yeah. fact that it's scry two, and you, you don't even have like you can swing in, enlist scry two, and then before damage is dealt, or even after damage is dealt, mm-hmm. it doesn't have enlist. It doesn't have uh, vigilance, so it's already tapped. Yeah. So if it's going to die, you just discard a card. Give it indestructible. It's already tapped. Exactly. The, I know at least one person played this against me, and it was rather difficult to remove. They had no qualms about discarding a card to make it indestructible. Half the time it was already tapped anyway, so they didn't care. But being able to enlist and scry two probably won't see much use outside of limited, but the limited decks where it's in, it's in. Now, our last card, I, I played against a guy on pre-release weekend who tried so hard to make this card work. I mean, really tried. And, and he did a good job. It worked. It just didn't work the way he had hoped it would. This is Keldon Flame Sage. It's a 2-3 creature, human shaman, for two generic and a red. It has enlist, and whenever Keldon Flame Sage attacks, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is Keldon Flame Sage's power. You may exile an instant or sorcery card with mana value X or less from among them. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. So, if you're playing a Spell Slinger deck, 
this can actually get really big and could cast some excellent spells off your library. The problem is trying to find that balance of an enlist creature to help boost the power and enough spells so that when you actually pull, pull cards off the top of your library, you have a spell to play. And that's what the, the guy that I was playing against, he had a nice beefy Keldon Flame Sage, and it, it was a jerk to try to block on a regular basis. But he had so many creatures in the deck that he he probably attacked with it three times and whiffed every time on the the attack trigger because he couldn't find any spells to play. He had so many creatures in his deck. See, so if I was playing with the Flame Sage. I would just kind of ignore the enlist part because there's a whole bunch yeah. of buff spells and everything. So you just play all of these like small little cantrips mm -hmm. or whatever. And if you're playing in blue, you can you know do some stuff to scry and whatnot. Oh yeah. And then you can just kind of top deck manipulation, you know, hopefully get something big. And then whenever you swing in, it's, Oh look, here's a torment of hellfire. Right. You know, or something along those lines. Uh, well, you got to be careful because X spells will be zero because you're without paying the mana cost. Yeah. But regardless, I see where you're coming yeah. from. And that makes, you're right. That is the way to go. Unfortunately, in limited, it's not so simple. Yeah. And it doesn't work out as well. But you're right. In constructed, commander, definitely the way to go. Don't worry about the enlist so much. Worry more about the attack trigger. For our colors, we have four cards in white, zero in blue, zero in black, four cards in red, three in green, zero multicolor, and zero colorless. This is definitely a Naya mechanic with dominance in white and red, and that was told to us during spoiler season. The, yep. the, the Boros mechanic is really enlist and being attacky with it. So, yeah. What kind of decks do we have? Well, there isn't really so much as a featured deck. There are just good enlist cards, like like the ones that we've already talked about. The War Brute. War Brute. Yeah, the Berserker. There's there's a couple. Like, there's one with Flying that was also pretty good. But then there's, like, one with Vigilance. And I don't think Vigilance really does enough. No, I, the War to Brute. make it worth it. Yeah. The War Brute is definitely where it's at, just because of the Trample. Oh, absolutely. The the War Brute, is, that, that is, that and the Berserker, I think, are like the two best enlist cards. Right there. Yeah. Which brings me to the next point. Certain enlist cards are great. Others are terrible and have little effect on your board. Um, and enlist cards belong in aggressive decks with creatures that have really high power. And that's just so that you can take advantage of giving a power boost to one of your creatures yeah. with extra benefits. So if you're playing with the enlist mechanic, as we've said, you want to choose your enlist creatures wisely. You need to have some sort of evasion or a payoff for that creature to attack. The Coalition Warbrute, Trample, amazing. You know, you can, you can pump that thing up, and if it dies... You don't much care, you're getting damaged, odds are, you're getting damaged to trample over, or you're taking out a massive creature of theirs, or creatures. And know. with the Bedolvian Berserker, they're in a tough pickle. Do they block and kill it and take damage to the face, or do they not block it and, you know, and just have to sit and there? Exactly. And time have after turn after turn, yeah. <laughs> sit there, block it, lose something, and hopefully they can do something, they can hit you with a crackback. Yeah. So that those two are really good. There's uh, a tortoise with like enlist and ward two, I think. I'm sorry, I don't much care about ward on my enlist creature. If I'm gonna go and swing heavy, I just I don't care. There's another one that it it has one sacrifice it destroy target artifact or enchantment and it has enlist. I'm all in for the destroy target artifact or enchantment on a body. Don't get me wrong. You know, but I'm not excited about not having trample on an enlist creature. It just it doesn't work out. Even Guardian of New Benalia, I'm I'm kind of lukewarm about it. I mean, I think it's definitely in the top tier of enlist creatures. But if I'm really looking for it, I want I want the Warbrute or the Berserker. 
You need to have good creatures you can enlist. And this is where the Territorial Morrow is the one we were thinking of. It's a 10-10, or it can be a 10-10 if you have all five basic land types out on the field. That's the kind of stuff you want. You want the Coalition Warbrute that has Trample, and you want a big creature that you can pump up and just swing right on through, because the Territorial Morrow does not have Trample. But if you give that 10-10, or that plus 10 power boost to the Warbrute, something is going to hit your opponent, or you're basically taking out their whole board. You know, it's, it's one, one or the other. The power increase does last until end of turn, so make sure you take advantage of that. We've talked about that before. Uh, something else you can do is use bite spells or fight spells. Mm -hmm. So these are cards that typically you find them in green. It's one of green's removal uh, ideas where target creature you control will deal damage to target creature an opponent controls. Um, that would be a bite spell. A fight spell is where they actually would fight, and it would tell you that on the card. Basically, they deal damage to each other equal to their power. Um, so you can take out a big creature if the opponent didn't block in that way, and you can do that all post-combat because that power increase lasts until end of turn. If you can manipulate your opponent's declare blockers step, you can make more effective use of enlist. There aren't many ways to manipulate your opponent's declare blockers step out there, but if you find them, you might want to consider using them. Well, uh, so in Dominaria United itself, I don't think there's one in there, but I do mm -hmm. know that there are some there yeah. are some red cards. I think there's one that's costs a single red and it's target creature can't block this turn, draw a card. And so you can limit you can, right, you can of, limit their options. You can limit their options, and then there's also, um, oh, uh, now how does that, uh, hold on, let me well, see and something. Like, so you could use lore, lore is an enchantment that requires all creatures able to block, enchanted creature must do so, uh, so you have those options, there are, I think there's some red cards that say target creature must block this turn if able, you know, so there are ways out there, there isn't anything in Dominaria United to the best of my knowledge. Um, some, what about something like Rogue's Passage? That is a great way, that, that would fall under the evasion idea. If you, because Rogue's Passage enables a target creature to be unblockable. I think Rogue's Passage, I think Rogue's Passage is like power two or less. I don't remember if it has a restriction on it based off of power. I, I'm just trying to think um, of how it would work. If, if it does, if it does have a power restriction... The way you would have to work that is beginning of combat, assuming you know your original creature has meets the power restriction, all right? And I don't remember if Rogue's Passage what it is or if it has one. Anyway, the point is Tetsuko. There we go. Power. Right. power Tetsuko. Right. Uh, okay. Two or less. Power two or less. So, um, well, that's a little bit different because that's a static ability. So let's just look up Rogue's Passage here real quick to make sure we know what we're talking about, and then we will. Uh, We'll dive right back into this. Oh, oh so, so target, uh, Rogue's Passage doesn't have a restriction on it in terms of power. However, let's assume that that is the case, all right? That whatever evasive ability you're getting, you're giving a creature has a power restriction on it. Okay, so what you have to do is at the beginning of combat, ideally at the beginning of combat, you want to play that spell or use that ability on your creature as long as it still meets the power requirement. Now, as soon as that resolves... That ability stays. So then you can enlist you can you can attack with a creature, enlist another creature on top of it, and it doesn't matter if it raises its power over top of the restriction now. It doesn't change the fact that when you cast that that spell or ability on the creature originally, it met the requirement. And so therefore it's going to continue meeting the requirement until the the ability uh, goes wears off. Whether that's you know end of turn or end of combat, whatever. It will stay. You can enlist it to make it bigger above that restriction without any concerns. So that does work. Yeah, and that's yes, yes another great idea. That's that's good. Um, last thing you really want to do is pay attention to your opponent's board. You only want to en enlist another creature if you know you can handle the crackback. The last thing you want is to get into this and make sure and get all excited, and then all of a sudden you die because you weren't paying attention. And full disclosure. That happened to me second day of pre-release. I wasn't paying attention to the trample. 
that was on an enlist creature and I got trampled over and yes, it cost me the match. Actually, not only that, it cost me first place in the, in the event. Um, and I went from first down to third because I did not pay attention to the crackback and trample. So it happens. It does. Chris, if you're playing against enlist, what do you do? First and foremost, if it doesn't have trample, chump block. If you sacrifice your little guys, to, if you throw your little guy in front of the big guy and he doesn't have trample, you ain't taking any damage and they're essentially, they're down two blockers. Yeah. Unless it has vigilance, but um, you want to choose your remove, removal wisely. Like we said earlier, um, you can either remove the creature with enlist or you can remove the creature that is being enlisted. So, uh, choose it wisely. Uh, and you got to kind of decide that in the moment. You really, you, we, we can't give you a hard and fast rule on that. You have to pay attention to the game state, what all's going on, what other creatures do they have, what other creatures do you have, how, you know, what's the life totals and stuff. There are so many different aspects you need to take into account to make that decision. And so you're going to have to make it in the moment every game. Uh, one good example is with the Territorial Morrow. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as they tap it to give it the power boost, uh, if you can, get rid of the Territorial Morrow so that if the Bolduvian Berserker is supposed to be coming at yeah. you, you get rid of the big guy. It's a 1-3. You block it. You eat one. Yeah. And again, and, and that's also a, a timing issue. You know, when do you want to do that? You know, do you want to just get rid of the Territorial Morrow at the end of first main or do you want to wait until they've made their declare attackers and you respond to the the enlist trigger you know so that's there's all sorts of different timing ideas that go into that decision so just make sure you pay attention to them when you're when you're deciding that and then you also want to crack back if you can like i said uh at the at the chump block they're they're already down two blockers so if they only have three creatures. They only got one. If you have more creatures than them, crack back. Um, and then you want to remember, you can respond to the power increase trigger. Like we mentioned a couple of times before, just because they enlist doesn't mean that that's the end of it. Yeah. As soon as that triggered ability hits the stack, you have a chance to respond and you can do whatever you want. Which... Again, I don't think enough people... Timing restrictions. Time, timing restrictions, of course. But I don't think enough people are aware that there is that triggered ability. And I made sure to point that out at our pre-release event. Like, hey, just so you're aware, you, know, you cannot respond to tapping the creature as an enlisted creature, but you can respond to the power buff that it gets. So make sure you take that into account, and you as the opponent, or you as the person who is enlisting a creature has to give the opponent a chance to respond to make sure that everything is on the up and up and they had that chance to react to what you did before you move forward with the game. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I don't think enough people remember that part of the ability. So with all of that out of the way, uh, what are its uses in different formats? Well, I think in, in list, so I think it did a little bit better than what I originally had given it credit for in limited, especially that Coalition Warbrute and that Balduvian Berserker. The Balduvian Berserker in particular, I think, has made a big splash because it's it's good in multiple decks. Simply because of that death trigger. It's good if you if you pair it in a red-green aggressive deck. It's good if you put it in a red-black sacrifice deck and a red-black white uh, like aristocrat style deck. It works in a lot of different formats, and so I think that's great. The Warbrute, probably best in a red-green deck, mm -hmm. where you're just making big creatures and everything, and being able to trample over, but could also work in a red-black deck. Again, I just I don't think that outside of Limited, you're going to see Enlist. I, I, it's better than what I originally gave it credit for, but only in a cer couple certain instances. Most of the time, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It won a couple events, or it, it won a couple games, couple matches, pre-release weekend, and now people have figured out how to beat it, and it's really not as effective as people think, or originally thought. 
I think the Berserkers might have a home in one of my decks. Oh, I'm I'm quite certain. Yeah, that, my, that's a good card. My my mono red like the cavalcade deck. Oh yeah, because it's power because it cavalcade triggers on attack. Yeah. Oh yes. So cavalcade trigger on attack, and then I have I think the biggest creature I have in there is like if it has enough if it has the three plus one plus one counters on it, it's a runaway steamkin, and that's plus four. Ah. And I'm not attacking with steamkin. Right. So so I have no problem tapping him because essentially the Steamkin is a mana dork to me. Yeah. And so there's plus four, which puts him up to five. Yeah. And so they either block it or they're taking a Lava Axe. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Now, Cavalcade of Calamity. Is that an intervening if trigger? Is it a whenever a creature attacks, comma, if it has power one or less, comma? Because I, I don't remember the wording on Cavalcade of Calamity. One moment, we're searching. No! So you, it, it's whenever a creature you control with power one or less attacks, so you could stack the triggers in such a way, because they, they both trigger on attack. Right? Let me make... Folks, we're having a nice little rules interaction here to make sure that we 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 have this. As this creature attacks. Right. As this creature attacks, you may tap up to one untapped creature control. And so if I read this, I'd, I'd want to do more digging on this to make sure that I understand how these triggers would work together. Because as it attacks, you get to tap something, which should mean that both of those should trigger at the same time. You have the when this creature attacks trigger in addition to the enlist trigger. They should trigger at the same time, meaning you, because that happens on attack. The enlist does the tapping of another creature. So you should get to stack the triggers in the order that you want, meaning yes, cavalcade will go off, then the power boost goes off. But I want to make sure I do some digging on that real quick before I confirm it. But my initial thought is yes, that is the way it works. If you stack the triggers correctly. Which I... <laughs> okay, you're getting really good with this enlist mechanic, like, already. So, you may... We may be seeing, folks, Chris actually creating an enlist deck. When I did the notes, the only card that I saw seeing any standard play was Guardian of New Benalia. And I'm pretty sure that's because you can discard it to give it indestructibility, and you can scry two when you enlist. Yeah, those, those two are very powerful. Yeah. So scrying is top deck manipulation, which is yeah, which is always powerful. Yeah. I mean, Sensei's Divining Top is one of the most sought after top deck manipulations, mm-hmm. um, and then indestructible. That one is just a given because it has baked in protection. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're gonna see it in any format outside of standard. Pioneer, it's too slow. Modern, modern, you can't have two attackers without one actually doing any damage in modern. That's just, that's not going to happen. Um, no. Legacy, forget it. No. Commander, again, you'll see a little bit, probably the Warbrute and the Berserker, but it seems like every time we start talking about what cards will be useful, those are the only two that we actually mention. Um... So I don't think we're going to see much about that at all outside of standard. And I mean, we'll see it in limited. It does work. I just don't think you're going to see very much of it. Chris, do we have any other thoughts on Enlist? I, the only... It's not about Enlist per se. It's more about like the colors... I really, really wish that there was at least one blue card within list. That way I could make a red, white, and blue oh, enlist deck. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> but but alas, it is not meant to be. We don't even have a multicolored card that has enlist. So I mean it's all monocolored cards. I'm sad that I'm also sad that they didn't put enlist on like an equipment. But I don't see... You can't put it on an equipment. It doesn't... 
Unless, well, unless it would grant the creature yeah. enlist. Well, yeah. yeah. And, like, I have the perfect idea for it. It, it could have been, like, it could have been called, like, draft card. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Equip creature has enlist. Yeah. <laughs> so, with all that, we're going to pivot away for a moment. And we're going to talk about something that's important for our, our, our novice drafters out there. This is the idea of wheeling cards in draft. Now, when we say wheeling a card, we mean letting a card go from the pack that you are using and hoping that it goes all the way around the table and comes back to you on your next pick. All right. I've been doing that like every single draft that I've been to. Yeah. You will always hear me say at least one time, go, I hope I see you again. Yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of people say that because they're, they're, when you look at a pack, the odds of you having only one card are usually pretty slim. There's usually, especially when you have the opportunity for a card to wheel, you, you have probably two cards you'd really like out of the pack. And so your, your goal is to pick the card that you think will come, or pick the card you think won't come back, and let the card you think will come back go. Now this requires a lot of, of really practice to get good at. And I've, I've had some success with it, I've also not had some success with it. I think one of my best examples, so I was doing a draft of Zendikar Rising one weekend, and I had drafted, I had started drafting a blue-black rogues deck. Now, there was a really good monocolored rogue that I had in a pack, and I'm like, I really, really want this rogue because it's monocolored. I'll have an easier time playing it. But I also had the blue-black signpost uncommon rogue in the pack. And I started thinking to myself, okay, if I'm looking at this pack, which one would I be more likely to take if I were not in a rogues deck? Well, I'm going to be much less likely to take the multicolored card because it's going to be harder to put that in, fit that into a deck effectively. If I let that one go, I'll probably see it come back. If I let the monocolored card go, I'm probably not going to see that one come back because it has way more utility in a deck. So I chose to take the monocolored card, hoping that the dual that the that the multicolored card would come back. Thankfully it did. Now this told me two things. Number one, I am building a good deck and I know how to wheel correctly in that instance. But number two, it also told me no one else is playing rogues because no one else took that card, which left me free and open to say, okay, I guess I'm good. I can draft blue-black rogues without too much concern the rest of the game. Still need to make sure you make your picks correctly, but odds are I'm going to be okay. The article that we have here is called How to Wheel in Drafts, and it's by a guy called Sirkovitz. This provides a breakdown using the wheeling concept of picking cards in a draft. Um, and it's, it's data heavy. I mean, really data heavy, but it has a lot of useful information, even for the casual drafter. It might take a little bit of time for you to really dive into what all he's trying to tell you, but it does really work. And again, it's that whole idea of how confident are you that this particular card will make it back around the table to you a second time. So, you can also listen, actually, this guy also did an episode on a podcast called Limited Resources, where the author of the article was a guest, and he discusses his information with host Marshall Sutcliffe. It's a great episode, and it really helped me better understand the article, getting to hear him talk about it live instead of just reading through the article and everything. It's not a long article, but it is dense and data heavy. So again, if you want to get into it, it will help you and it will help your draft experience, which I think Chris and I will both agree when it comes to creating an even playing field and really focusing on deck building skill, draft is the way to go. 
Uh, Chris, would you agree on that one? Yes. All right. Definitely agreeing. So, great article. Take a chance. Read it. And hopefully it helps you in your ability to wheel cards. So, I just skimmed through the uh, article. Okay. Yeah, you weren't kidding when you said it was data heavy. Oh, it's data heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, you, it's data heavy. My recommendation to you is if you do read it, um, have have like some paper and paper and pencil next to you. That way you can uh, it helps me like just drawing draw like yeah. kind of drawing things out so it makes a little bit better sense. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and reread this with a piece of paper. Yeah. But it is like I said, it is a good article. Oh yeah. And and it really does help sort of help you figure out how to evaluate those cards, especially in the moment. So that's all we have for our extended reading. We're not going to have much scuttlebutt today. We'll have, we'll definitely have some more scuttlebutt with our next episode as they're going to start doing infinity previews. I think tomorrow, uh, as a recording of this episode, I think tomorrow, you know, tomorrow, Tuesday, I think they're supposed to start doing infinity previews. And I know Chris, you're really excited about that. So we'll be able to talk about that next episode for sure. Uh, in addition to, we'll, we'll probably get to talk a little bit about all oh, there's, uh, well, we've, we have a jump start for Dominary United that came out. We have a new jump start that's coming out in December. Um, I don't know if you're a Warhammer 40k person, but those decks are coming out. We had some bands in Popper today, all sorts of stuff that's going on. Yeah, I know some bands in Popper. Yeah. Um, so all sorts of things that are going on in the world of magic that we'll, we'll discuss next episode. Did Ristic Study get banned in Popper? Ristic Study did not get banned Yay. in Popper. Don't worry. <laughs> I love playing rares in Popper. <laughs> so with that, Chris, I think we are ready to wrap it up. All right. So let's just clean up. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to... Uh, if you, there's an article that you came across, share it with us and we might feature it. Please do. Yeah, we'd love to read it. Uh, and you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook and Twitter using the handle at mtgunderthehood. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.